to his disciples uh, to observe this until he comes again. So we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, down in verse number 17. It says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come." Of course, the Apostle Paul was not instituting the Lord's Supper. He was not the one that gave the command for the first supper to be observed. That was our Lord Jesus who did that. But Paul declares that it was a message that he received of God about how the Lord's Supper was to be observed. Now, we read a little bit before and a little bit after our traditional text that we, that we read when we observe the supper together to show you that a problem had arisen within the church that they were misusing uh, the supper. And they would have oftentimes a, a gathering or a feast together, and they were not using it properly. Um, the rich were uh, continuing to take their food and drink and they weren't sharing with the poor and it created a division in the church it created a problem but yet paul gives us very clearly these words these familiar words and there's always a danger when something is familiar um, familiar words will lead us to sometimes say well i've heard this before um, I'm so and so, so many years old. I've heard this all of my life. I've been a Christian. I've been observing the Lord's Supper since I was a child, whatever the case may be. I would caution you against that today. Uh, familiar words um, are still words of God's instruction. 
And so today this is a bit more instructive in the sense that we want to look at these, the purposes. What, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper and why does he give it to us? What are we to learn from it? What are we to see from it? Uh, we read these words so often, especially there in verses 23 and 24, about how Paul writes, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And he gives the background. He said that the very night that the Lord was betrayed, he instituted this Lord's Supper. He took the common Passover meal and he began to change it into what it was now going to be. It was going to be an observance of his death and ultimate, ultimately burial and resurrection uh, from the cross. So the full passage, which extends all the way to the end of 1 Corinthians which, uh, 11, which we read, shows us the purposes of the Lord's Supper and how what spiritual benefits and also what blessings should come of it. Now, we have to be reminded, anytime you study a subject or a topic such as this, we have to, first of all, understand that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic ordinance. It's a symbolic ordinance. Uh, we have to be reminded of that. It, it is a ceremony in a sense, but it's an ordinance. We call it an ordinance because it was ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, it was ordained during his earthly ministry on earth. Uh, the Savior commanded to his disciples, as Paul talks about this, this do in remembrance of me. Now remember, Jesus was speaking to do something in remembrance of him that had not yet taken place. He had not yet gone to the cross. He had not yet been betrayed. But yet he's telling them that what I'm instructing you is to be done in remembrance of me. It is symbolism. It is a symbolic ordinance. Paul is revealing those words, and he says, by direct revelation. He said, for I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Now, Paul is one of the inspired authors of the word. He received the word which he was to write. And in, he, by under the inspiration of the Spirit, he penned the words in which God told him to write. So we see that these are words uh, that are inspired words. Now there's only two symbolic ordinances or ceremonies that are commanded by Christ to be observed in the church. That is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and the ordinance of baptism. Those two are what the church is commanded to continue to observe. Now, we, we will see an uh, interchanging of words. You might hear, see the word ordinance. You might see the word sacrament. Now, our confession of faith uses the word sacrament, although it might not be the best word, only because of what that word tends to imply. So it's not a wrong word. It's not incorrect but it can lead some to be confused. So if someone who's been under a certain type of teaching would come in and say, oh, you, have, you observe the sacraments, they will, might have a thinking as to what is actually taking place in the observance of the supper. You see, if you go back before uh, the pre-Reformation age and you go back before that, the word sacrament had the meaning of a blessing being channeled through a priest 
to the people. And that because of that channeling through the priest to the people, that the person, the priest, was a quote-unquote channel of blessing to you. In other words, they were imparting something to you that the power of God's grace came through the priest. Or, and again, the sacraments of the baptismal waters or the communion bread somehow bring to you saving power or saving grace, which they do not. Uh, When we observe this together, you are receiving nothing through me. There is nothing flowing through me. I I am not a channel of blessing to you. I am not imparting to you forgiveness. I am not imparting to you grace. I am simply leading us in a commanded ordinance of God a remembrance ceremony. It's filled with symbolism. It's filled with symbols. And that's what we're looking at today. So the ordinances of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, are purely symbolic ceremonies, and they have a design to them. They're designed to remind us of Christ's work on our behalf. They're designed to remind us and to remind God's people of grand and foundational truths which we are not to easily forget. The blessing doesn't come from me. The blessing of God does not come from the wafer of bread. And the blessing of God does not come from the juice. The blessing, they are all pictures and representations of what and who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. We are all to have a personal appreciation for what is happening. We are all to reflect and to think and to be reminded if we are in Christ Jesus, what does this death and burial and resurrection of Christ mean for me? God is a means in which we are to praise Him, and we also are to praise one another. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be a time that does not divide, but it is a time that is supposed to be a very special time when the church comes together to remember what Christ has done for them. Again, all in symbolism. All in representation. It's only when you actually reflect upon what all this means. Um... Again, this has been the argument, and and this is not, and I can explain to you outside of right now, but there's always the argument of, uh, if we're supposed to observe this, why don't we do this all the time? Uh, I I went to a church that observes the Lord's Supper every week. I went to a church that only observed it once a year, two times a year, once a month, once every three weeks, whatever the case is. We're not told how often we are to do that. Um, I have, I know, I know churches that observe the Lord's Supper every week, and I, I have absolutely no problem with that at all. I actually see the benefit in it. I've actually prayed and considered uh, that might be something we should do, because there is a beauty in being reminded each and every week as the church gathers, and to remember what Christ has done. There's something about the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that just is, serves as such a picture and a reminder of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, we as a church, we observe it once a month. 
It's the last Sunday of the month. There's nothing about the last Sunday. If we did on the third Sunday, second Sunday, first Sunday, there's nothing about the last Sunday that makes it more special than another day. But that's what we have done in obedience to the Word of God. God says that we are to keep this until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. So that's what we'll be observing today. But it's also meant to do more than just be an outward performance. In other words, we're not just simply here to just say, okay, we're going to do this at, at the end of service and the pastor's going to go through a series of things and we know exactly it's going to go. We do this once a month. This is actually meant to be something that strengthens our soul. It's meant to be something that actually encourages each other. Think about this for a moment and we think about the world in which we live. To be gathered in a room together with even a church our size with most, if not all, I don't know this for sure, all believers sitting here this morning in agreement that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. You will find it very difficult this week to find a gathering of believers where everyone who is seated together has been saved by the grace of God. And yet here we sit. And we're here together. And so when we observe the supper, we are in one accord, one heart, and one mind thinking about and reflecting upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. It ought to be an edification to our souls. Without faith, without salvation, what we do here in just a little while will mean nothing to you if you are not saved today. If you don't know Christ, this will just look like some kind of a strange ceremony to you. It'll look weird. You'll ask questions like, why such a small little wafer of bread? Why such a small little cup of juice? What, what is this all about? Because you cannot understand what this means unless you are in Christ Jesus. That's why when we observe the Lord's Supper, again, not to be unkind, but we observe it as a symbolic ordinance and only those who are in Christ Jesus should partake of it. Because remember, it is something to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we've all heard it this way. No matter what church you've come from, how can you remember someone you do not know? You can't remember the beauty of Christ's death and burial and resurrection if you're not saved. So what we would say to you today is just watch. Observe what's taking place. But foremost, listen to the word of God being preached. And if need be, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. So this is an ordinance, a symbolic ordinance that is restricted. Yes, it's okay to use words like restricted to believers only. So if you're not a believer in Christ today, then you should abstain from observing it. But it is an important and a commanded ordinance that we are to keep. Now again, notice what Paul says in verse 26. He says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the Lord's Supper, first of all, is a symbolic ordinance. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is not is not a saving ordinance. So you are not going to be saved 
as a result of participating in this. So notice what Paul is saying. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Again, I admit to you every time so that you never look at me and think you're, he's a Greek scholar, he's a Hebrew scholar. I am none of those things. But the Greek word translated show here simply means to proclaim or to speak of something. To proclaim or to speak of something. So what Paul is showing us here is that the Lord's Supper is a message or a sermon in symbols. It's a sermon that's been prepared by the Lord Himself, which all of His people are commanded to observe and to listen to on a regular basis. So you say, what does that mean? That means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are commanded to observe this. Now, I have heard stories. I've never met anybody like this. I've heard preacher friends tell me in the past that they know of people who've been saved all of their life. And I'm talking people that were 70, 80, 90 years old who have never once observed the Lord's Supper. They've never once taken communion. They've never once, they've let it pass by every single time. We're commanded to take it. Sometimes people don't take it because they say, I can't observe the Lord's Supper today because I have unrepented sin in my life, so I need to abstain. Can I suggest to you that that's actually not the approach you should take? The approach should be if you know there's unrepented sin and that's what's keeping you from partaking, repent of that sin. Like now. Because you are to partake in it and you are lose not only in disobedience to God by not taking it, but you're also missing out on one of the great benefits and blessings of the Lord. It's not just a ceremony that's just, let's get through this as quickly as we can. Or just to tag it on and just say, hey, we, we just want to fulfill our checkbox for the month of February. It's actually a spiritual blessing to be able to gather together. But he tells us that we are showing something. So when you take of that bread and you take of that very small cup of juice, what you are showing is you are showing a sermon. You are showing a graphic reminder physically, temporally, of great spiritual reality. You're demonstrating to one another and you're showing something miraculous. It has to be emphasized that the Lord's Supper shows us. It's not, I'll use a big word, it's not efficacious. It's not effectual. It is not saving you. You can take it every month for the next 50 years and it will never, ever, ever have saving power in it. It is a false teaching of the Catholic Church that when you go and receive that bread and receive that juice and receive that cup, that's it's imparting saving grace or keeping saving grace in you. That is not biblical. Nothing here is going to do that for you. So if you say, well, you know, I've been really, I've been really wondering about this salvation that you know, God's been working and dealing with me about this and I just, I just can't believe. Well, I'll just take it to supper and I'll, I'll be saved. You can't be saved that way. It won't save you. 
It won't keep you saved. It won't make you more spiritual. It is not effectual in that sense. However, what we do need to understand is the benefit, the spiritual benefit is sown in the hearts of those who understand the message that's being conveyed. Now, there have been accounts, there have been people who have sat in Lord's Supper services like this, and they have been brought to repentance. The Word is preached, Scripture is, is given, and people have been brought to repentance that very moment. They've repented of their sins and they believed on Christ Jesus then. But we're always moved and stirred by the message of what Jesus Christ means to us, or at least we should be. You realize when we talk about the cross and we talk about what Jesus Christ did, that should stir us just as much or more than it did the day we knew we had been redeemed. We should be growing in our appreciation for what the cross means. Why Jesus Christ had to die. Who He died for. He died for His elect. He died for His people. He died for all the Father had given to Him. And we rejoice in that. Notice again, Paul says that this is the, this is the, the, uh, the subject of our rejoicing. Ye do show the Lord's death. Paul is, he is, he's recording that what we're doing is we are receiving a reminder and the benefits of the accomplished work of salvation by Jesus Christ. If we're already in Christ, we still may need to be brought to repentance. We might have unconfessed sin. We need to deal with that. We need to examine ourselves and be sure that there's no wicked way in us. We should examine ourselves first. Should I partake in this? Am I truly a child of God? Have I repented of my sins? Have I believed in Christ? And if you cannot answer yes to that question, then I am, by the warnings of Scripture, I am warning you, do not partake of this. Let the plates pass you by. But I would also caution us that if we have that unrepented sin and we're not living as we should, we should also consider... Should I partake of this today? I would say repent and make things right and partake. But we cannot hold on to unrepented sin. It's an amazing thing that when we observe the Lord's Supper together, and if we do it properly and according to God's Word, it should also rekindle in us the love of Christ, had, not only the love that Christ has for us, but the love we're to have for one another. You know as a church, we are to love one another. We learned in our series over the last couple of weeks about assurance that we are, that is the proof. That's the proof that we're in, we are in the faith is that we have love for the brethren. Love for one another. Now, for most of you here, because I look around and I know most of you. But we often don't need to be reminded of this, that this is not a saving ordinance. But again, I say this is for those who are already believers. The Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. It is strictly for those 
Paul says about, says this, who can discern the meaning? Look down at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning. He's not able to understand what's happening. He's not understand the benefits. The Lord's Supper is only for those who can discern the meaning of this. Again, you might say, all right, pastor, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know if I truly do know the meaning of this. What I would love to do is be able to talk with you after we've concluded here to be sure that you do understand, not because the knowledge is coming from me, but he says you should not partake if you cannot discern the meaning of what this supper means. The Lord's Supper doesn't save it reminds us. It reminds us of the great benefits we read in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. It stirs up our mind. It stirs up our remembrance to appreciate yet again, and we can never appreciate what Christ has done too often. But it is an ordinance that is to be observed in the church. This is not an ordinance you're to observe on your own. This is not an ordinance that you are to hold a Bible study at your house. I'm not saying Bible study is wrong, but then at the end of the Bible study, you observe the Lord's Supper together. This is an ordinance for, that was given to the church, not for people as individuals, not for individual families, not for parachurch organizations. It was given to the church. God's program, it's not quite the best word, is the local church. It's through the church. We believe in the universal church, but we also know that it's being expressed through this local church and through every other local church that believes the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, why do you have to even say that? Because this is being misused as well, like many other Christian things. People are saying, I don't need to assemble with the church. And since I don't need to assemble with a church, I don't need them to observe the Lord's Supper. I'll just go onto a Christian website and I'll order my own supplies and I'll take communion myself at home and my family and that's all I need. It's given to the church. And we're to observe it together. Not just our church, but churches. So we see that it's not a saving ordinance. It's symbolic. Thirdly, the Lord's Supper is a solemn ordinance. Now, I'm using that just to kind of help us remember this morning. I'm obviously using alliterated headings today, and I've got a reason for that. But before we think about all the benefits of what the Lord's Supper is, it's important for us to keep in mind that there are two sides to the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper symbolism. And we make a mistake if we fall to one side and don't recognize the other side. When we observe the Lord's Supper, it is a memorial, right? We do remember the humiliation of the Lord. We do remember His broken body. We do remember His shed blood. We do remember the scourgings and the beatings and the, the mockery, the crown of thorns plated upon his head, the strikes he received upon his head, the pulling of his beard, 
the putting of a scepter in his hand in mockery. Those dying agonies Isaiah 53 makes mention of. The end of Isaiah 52 says in prophecy that his visage was marred beyond, he was not even recognized as a man. He was beaten that badly. But remember, primarily the Lord's Supper is not about a memorial of his person in the sense of what he, what he endured, humanly speaking, but a memorial of his work. Now, when you put those together, you realize if I remember what Jesus Christ endured for me, it certainly to the true child of God brings us to deep reverence, a deep, solemn, and somber spirit. It's sobering to think what Jesus Christ has done for us. But do you realize that if you just emphasize all of the outward physical sufferings alone, a person could be led to feel sorry for that individual, which might lead that person to say, because I feel sorry for them and what they endured for me, I think I want to be a part of that. The scourgings and the beatings and the sufferings and the passions and the shedding of blood which was required, all necessary, but don't lose sight of the fact that what we're remembering is His atoning work on the cross. We're remembering not the work He made possible, but the work He actually accomplished. What He actually accomplished for you who are in Christ today is He accomplished your salvation. He accomplished it. He didn't make it possible for you to consider. He actually accomplished your salvation. So there is another side to this. You'll notice that a lot of the hymns that we sing are about his sufferings. They're about what he endured. But even as that song we learned today, Go to Dark Gethsemane, you notice how it built what he was enduring and what he was enduring, but it brought us to a conclusion. He's risen. You see, what we could do, and again, I told you there's two sides to symbolism. We could go so far one way and just think about the solemnity of it, the sobering thought of it, and then forget to rejoice. Forget to claim the victory that Jesus Christ has given for us. You see, there's two sides. It is solemn. We should take it seriously. I'm saddened by some of the foolishness I've seen actually what people are trying to do with the Lord's Supper now. They've turned it into a game. They've turned it into almost like a carnival. It's an abomination. It should be a time of self-examination and you should think about the sufferings of Christ. But it also, if you're in Christ Jesus today, it's one of, it is the greatest source of your rejoicing is to know that He endured all that for you. He went to a cross, accomplished your salvation. He died, shed His blood, accomplished what He intended to accomplish and saved your soul. That's a source of rejoicing. So sometimes we miss the second symbol. We are supposed to see the other side of it. 
This memorial being properly held in its right context of being victorious, we cannot shut that out of our mind and can't simply say, well, this is just supposed to be deep and somber and we just can't even, we can't even consider any joy. It's interesting, Hebrews says about Jesus, he talks about the joy that was set before him. In some mysterious way, the cross of Christ was a joy to him. And we're to be joyful that the grave, the tomb in which they laid his body, is empty. You know, we're, we are such segmented Christians. We say, okay, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth. Well, really, you should celebrate the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection at Christmas time. At Easter time, we tend to put this unnatural, and if, if we're preaching the Bible throughout the year, you don't just talk about the resurrection at Easter time, whether it's March or April, depending on the calendar. You're always talking about the resurrection. You're always talking about the cross. Because if there isn't a resurrection, all of the events that we're remembering today have no value at all. And we would be foolish to remember something that didn't do anything. But we're actually remembering a victorious Savior. It stirs us. It stirs and reminds us of how unworthy we are. But it also stirs our love. Not only the love that we have for Him, but the love that He had for us. Remember, we know we did not love Him first here, and He loved us first. So we rejoice. We rejoice in the triumph and the reign of Jesus Christ. Now, if we come to the Lord's table today and we, we just leave out either side of that symbolism, we just only lean on the sorrow and the solemnity of it, but we ignore the triumph, we're missing the entire point. We are to remember the death, but we are also to rejoice in the victory that was accomplished on the cross and ultimately the resurrection. Therein lies our hope. So today, as we observe here in just a moment, we are reflecting. We are remembering. We are thinking back. Solemn reflection means there is some sorrow. You might be sorrowful for your sin today and you need to repent of that. You might be here today, you know you're unsaved and you know you're unconverted and you need to trust Christ. Repent and believe today. But this should also be combined with a great gladness, a great joy and thanksgiving when we approach the Lord's Supper properly. We see how the Lord wants us to observe. So the Apostle Paul here describes this ordinance of which he had the knowledge by the revelation from Christ. As we prepare to observe the visible signs are the bread and the juice. What is eaten is called bread, though at the same time it is said to be the body of the Lord. We call it bread, but it's symbolic of his body. Matthew tells us that our Lord bid the disciples to drink all of the cup. These things would be outward signs. So the signs that will be 
pass to you today are signs or symbols of Christ's body and Christ's blood. His body is broken, His blood is shed. With that shedding of blood and His broken body, all the benefits which come from that, including our salvation, are in our view. Jesus' actions when He instituted the Lord's Supper is that He took the bread, He took the cup, He gave thanks, He broke the bread, and He gave the bread and the cup. That's what Jesus did. What are the actions of those who received it? They took the bread. They ate it. They took the cup. They drank it. They're doing both of those. We're going to do both of those in remembrance of Christ. Keeping all these truths in mind, you're not being saved by this. You're doing this in remembrance of Christ. Both of these outward acts, the eating of the bread, the drinking of the cup, are to be done. We would do it improperly if we only took the bread and didn't take the cup. We do it improperly if we just took the cup and didn't take the bread. So those who are able, biblically, to take of it, you are to take Him as a reminder that He is your Lord, He is your Savior, He is your life, and it should be a rekindling for us to live our lives for His glory. Being reminded by what Paul said again, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought with the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we reflect in sorrow, but we also rejoice in triumph of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Let's pray together.